following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Well, again, welcome. It's so good to have you here this morning. Uh, we are honored, if you are a guest or a visitor with us, uh, that you came and are here. Uh, if you're on the island just for a little bit of time, we hope that you enjoy your stay. If you're here uh, more regularly than that and uh, looking for a church home, uh, we hope that you will investigate um, our church, our family, and grow together with us. Um, it's, we don't ever sell, try to sell this church, but we will say this. I'll sell it this way. We're a mess, and we'd invite you into our mess because we love living life, a messy life, uh, together. So how's that for a pitch? Any of you in marketing may have to talk to me uh, later uh, on that. But um, we've been walking through as a church together a series on the Exodus, the book of Exodus. Uh, We've called it um, Redemption's Journey of seeing how God has moved powerfully in the lives of his people throughout all of history, how we relate to uh, the Hebrew nation uh, in the Old Testament, and how we are, he says that they, uh, they're my firstborn, they're my children, and he speaks that same way about us. And so this is our story, this is our history And we've been moving through, and we just finished last week, uh, looking at the plagues and how God was basically coming and confronting the opposition of Egypt and of other gods and of uh, basically proving himself to be God, saying, there's none who can stand before me. I'm greater than all those other gods. Uh, They are false, and that they ultimately lead to death, and that relationship with me ultimately leads to life. And that you should come, and it says that I'm inviting you out constantly. He says, I'm inviting you to come out and to worship me and to be in relationship uh, with me. And this week we're picking up in chapters 11 and 12 where it's the final plague. Uh, It is the plague where darkness has come and it's descended upon uh, Egypt. And now this final plague uh, is coming in, and it is the plague of the firstborn. And it is weighty, and it is dark, and uh, it's difficult to understand. And in the middle of this uh, dark story, there is this beautiful picture of hope. There is this beautiful picture of grace and of life and of redemption, and it's the Passover feast that was celebrated there uh, in Egypt so many years ago. And this year, unlike many years, the Christian Easter holiday and celebration Uh, coincides with the uh, Jewish festival of Passover. And so we felt it appropriate to preach from this text today, even though you're thinking, hey, this is supposed to be a resurrection Sunday and supposed to be all up and feeling good and all of that stuff. And we're going to get there, but there's no way to really experience and understand fully the joy uh, of what happens on the Sunday of the resurrection unless you realize why Christ had to even go into the grave why he had to suffer in that way, and what the significance of the resurrection really is. And so we're going to use this Old Testament text and then jump from that uh, later on in the sermon uh, to look at the New Testament beauty uh, and beginning of life there in the resurrection power of Christ. So if you have uh, your Bibles with me or with you this morning, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 11, and we'll read uh, down into chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. 
When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that they may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people and who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out into his land. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take one uh, to the number of persons according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb and your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, uh, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its heads and its legs and all. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The, Lord shall, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Moving down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. 
For he passed over the houses of of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so. And as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a cry, a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask now that you'd, in, you'd teach us from your word. These are weighty matters, and they are profound, and they are of life and death. They have eternity uh, within them. And so would we hear from you now by your spirit. Thank you for having us here today as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we come to this passage And we are talking this morning uh, about a couple of themes that are themes that are normally and very often roadblocks for many people as they're investigating the Christian faith. Uh, This theme, the first one, is this idea uh, and this truth of a sacrifice, that there had to be a sacrifice, that Christ had to die in order to redeem His people, that the Christian is someone who believes uh, that God came in human form, lived among us, and died this bloody death. That at the very center of Christian theology is a bloodied, helpless victim. That for the Old Testament and those until Christ came, it was a lamb. And for us as Christians, it is the picture of Christ at the very center of that. And for some of you, you look at it and you think, That's archaic. It's primitive. A modern mind doesn't think that way. We've moved beyond those stories. We've moved beyond those things. Uh, We know better than that. That may have helped people someday uh, deal with their guilt and placate their understanding of maybe there's a creator God out there and that's how you relate to him. But we've moved past that. Well, Christianity hasn't moved past that. At its very core is this idea and this truth about sacrifice. And so we're going to talk about that today. And the other truth and the other core of our faith and of Christian teaching is this. It's that of a resurrection. That Jesus Christ was fully man, fully God, that he lived among us, that he died, that he was buried. And then it says on the third day that he rose again from the dead and that there's an empty tomb. And that we truly believe that he was physically raised from the dead. And there are eyewitnesses and there are accounts of his life after the grave. And and there are names given so that you can look at it and go, oh, there are people. It's almost as one uh, person put it, they're like footnotes. If you don't believe me, that's fine. Go and talk to so-and-so. Go and talk uh, to all of these folks who've seen them. As Paul said, there were 500 at least who he met personally after the resurrection. You can go talk to any of them. Well, most of them, some have passed away, he said. But you can go talk to any of them. Because the resurrection is at the very heart of what we believe. That if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. And again, for the modern mind, we go, that's crazy. There can't be any such thing as a resurrection. 
And so I would ask you simply this question in your mind as you come here this morning, and I'm not going to assume upon any of you why you're here. I don't know your place of faith. I don't know your belief system, and I want to honor it. And so I'm going to press on some areas of it. And here's my hope for you today, that you'll ask better questions, that you'll pause for a moment, and that you will, that you will be willing to dig deep because what you believe drives how you live your life. What you believe matters in this life. And what we believe about the resurrection matters. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, said this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. See, we get too caught up too often in the moral and the ethical teachings of Christianity. Uh, We debate uh, how uh, we should live our lives, whether a certain way of living is appropriate or inappropriate. Where uh, is the freedom that we have? We get caught up on the Ten Commandments, and we get upset about uh, God's and the moral and Christian teachings about generosity and about money and about care for the poor uh, and about roles and relationships in the world. Let me just ask you this morning to do something. Forget about all that. None of that matters if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then who cares how you live your life? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. Discard your Bible. It's not necessary. It's no longer of any value to you. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, if he was raised from the dead, then you have to accept everything that he taught. You have to deal with him. And so the invitation today is this. Deal with Christ first. Deal with him and resolve in your mind whether or not you believe that he could have been raised from the dead. Some of you are going, oh, absolutely not. Upon what ground are you making that absolute statement? Are you willing to maybe doubt your doubts? Are you willing to pause for a second and go, maybe it's possible that he was raised from the dead. And if he was raised from the dead, then everything else he says matters. That's where we're going to start. The last thing I'll say in introduction this morning is this. We believe these things that we're talking about, the substitutionary death of Christ, his sacrifice on our behalf, he being a true historic figure, that he actually lived, that he actually died, that he actually was raised from the dead. We believe these to be true truths. There's teaching that goes on now uh, that basically said these are, these are higher truths. It doesn't matter whether Jesus was really a true person as long as you believe that he was. It, it doesn't matter whether he was truly resurrected from the dead as long as you believe in a resurrection. Then it becomes real to you. It becomes real based upon your belief of it and it be, it's disproved based on your disbelief of it. I grew up in a pastor's home a Presbyterian pastor's home who believed these things to actually be true. I went off to college to his alma mater and went and studied there. It was a Presbyterian college. And I found there that it was very interesting in the religious studies department of this Presbyterian college. No one believed any of this really happened. They believed that it was okay for you to believe that it became true, but don't press it on anybody else. 
And that that the heart of the resurrection was this. Believe in the power of the resurrection and live a resurrected life. Live above this world. Live beyond it. And there is the need for forgiveness, so it's important to believe that there was somebody who died on a cross, but it doesn't matter if he was really a historic figure or not, as long as you believe that he is. And I thought, well, that's just in academia. And then, as I was ministering in a particular area, I was talking to one of the other ministers in that area, and he said, Bill, you don't really believe all this stuff to be true, do you? I was like, yeah, I I do. He goes, you preach that every Sunday. I said, yeah, we do at our church. We preach this to be true. I said, what do you preach? He goes, well, it doesn't, need, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as everybody just um, believes that there's a gospel, it's okay whether there's one or not. If Jesus is good, he's alive or not alive, it doesn't really matter uh, in that regard. And I remember watching on Facebook a number of years ago, a good friend of mine writing that she and her uh, family had gone to church on Easter morning like some of you. And I was excited. I didn't expect them to go to church. I didn't know they uh, were people of faith or of religion or of Christianity at all. And they said, she wrote basically this, enjoyed the Easter service this morning and learning uh, about uh, the resurrection. Spending the afternoon explaining to our children that it's simply a myth. That's being taught. And so I want you to hear this from me today. These aren't higher truths to which you ascend. These are true truths to which we come and bow ourselves to. And so investigate them. But they're the rock and the foundation upon everything uh, that we believe. This idea of a substitutionary death of Christ and this belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So with that, we're going to look at just several things briefly uh, this morning. Because I want you to understand some things. We use language within the church, and for many, it's a tribal language. You hear us talk, and you even sang songs. And I wonder if you fully understand. It says, O Lamb of God, who took my place. A lamb. When's the last time any of you hung out with a lamb? When's the last time that you sacrificed a lamb? When was the last time that you, that you went through a ritual uh, where there was an innocent victim who was sacrificed in a ritualistic way and the blood was spilled uh, and it was placed over the doors and you ate it in a particular way and you did that? None of us do. We go, ah, that's, that's old stuff. I don't understand this lamb thing. Well, we're going to first talk about a theology of the lamb. And understand that this theology of the Lamb runs all the way from Genesis through Revelation. And you need to understand this theology of the Lamb. You need to understand what the Lamb is all about. And then secondly, what we're going to look at and see is that Jesus is that Lamb. That Jesus Christ is actually the Lamb of God. And then see that He's a better Lamb than has been presented ever before. That He's a better Lamb. And then in conclusion... We're simply going to say this, as John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God. We're going to consider him for just a moment. So this idea of the Lamb, this theology of the Lamb that runs throughout all of Scripture, because right here in the heart of it, you see these lambs who are going to be slaughtered, that there's going to be these bloodied victims that are there for some purpose. What's the purpose of the Lamb? Well, there's an idea, there's a theology that runs through Scripture And it begins actually earlier, but it's not codified. It's not made into a code uh, written down until just after this event in Exodus 13. And it was this idea that there was a debt to be paid. There was a debt owed to God. And that every family had a debt that they had to owe to God. And the burden of that debt laid, uh, rested upon the firstborn of the family. 
And that everybody, every year who had a male in that very patriarchal society, that all the property, all the power, everything ran through the firstborn son. And so every year, they had to go and take a lamb. And they had to go and they had to sacrifice the lamb to redeem the firstborn son back from God. Because God says, you owe me a debt. And you may be sitting there going, what debt do I owe God? Well, way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God created all the heavens and the earth and man, and he told Adam and Eve, he said, this is how you're to live your life. They broke it in chapter 3. And there was a debt that's been owed to God ever since. And God is saying on an annual event for families, he's saying this, I'm calling my debt on you. But I'll give you an option. You can take a lamb, and you can sacrifice this lamb, and it will take the place of your firstborn. And so you redeem your firstborn, and he stays with you, and he's with you. And there was this understanding that worked throughout. And you can see it in Abraham with Isaac. As Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, it was his firstborn, it was his son, through which all of his lineage was going to happen, through all the promises that God said to Abraham, take Isaac, your firstborn son, and go and take him and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham doesn't resist. Why doesn't Abraham resist? One writer put it this way. If God had come to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take Sarai and take her into the tent and kill her, he would have looked at God and said, this has to be a demon. This can't be God speaking because God would never ask me to murder my wife. That goes contrary to God's heart. It goes contrary to his character. But Abraham didn't protest God asking for his firstborn. Why? He knew and understood the idea of debt. That God was simply calling the debt. And saying, I now need and I take from you your firstborn to pay for so to protect and care for your whole family. The firstborn has to come and be given to me. And so they go to Mount Moriah. And it's interesting, Isaac understood it too. Because Isaac looked at his dad when they're going up the mountain and he said this to his dad. He said, hey dad, I see fire, I see wood, and I see a knife. We're missing something here. Every year when we've done this before, there's been a fourth element. There's been a lamb because that lamb is slain on my behalf so that I get to stay with you. Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham looks at his son and he says, God will provide a lamb. God will provide. They understood this idea. And the story goes on to say that God did provide a ram uh, to take and to take his place in that. And then we move here in this theology of the Lamb right here in the Passover. That God is calling a debt. That the creator of the universe is calling a debt. And he's saying to all of the people of Israel and all of the people of Egypt, he said, tonight I'm calling the debt. Tonight I'm calling the debt and I'm requiring your firstborn. I'm requiring the firstborn. But I'm going to give you a substitute, a lamb. The people understood it. And they took these lambs and they sacrificed them in the proper way. And they were there and they took the blood of the lamb and they covered the doors of their homes. And it said that God would come by and he would pass over them and say, okay, this place is protected because of the lamb. That it has been, the debt has been paid for a year. And it says that you're to do this annually, every single year. Can you imagine every year going back and doing this? But you see, God is egalitarian He doesn't just do this with the Hebrews. He does it with all people. And he said to the Egyptians the same way, I require your firstborn too. I I require the firstborn. There is a debt to be paid by all humanity to me. And I'm going to require it to be paid. And so the God of the universe sent 
And it's this striking language uh, there. Let me give you the, the proper verse. And it says that God sent the destroyer into their midst. Verse 23 of chapter 12. God was saying, I'm going to send in the destroyer. It is going to go into the most fortified country in all of the world. It is going to pierce right through the greatest military that the world has ever seen. And it's going to go into every single house that is uncovered. And it's going to pay the debt. It's going to take the debt that's required. And so there's this sense and there's this, this terrible burden that's there. But there's a lamb in the middle of it that was covering the people of God. Now here's the problem. We'll move on to the next point. Most of us aren't Hebrew. Most of us aren't Jewish. We don't practice ritualistic uh, Passover feast in that way. We don't have lambs that cover us in that way. So what do we do? God still requires a debt to be paid. There's still a debt that's owed. So what do we do? God said this. Here's the point. Everything has always been pointing up to Christ, that Christ is the true Passover lamb. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world and says, I am the Lamb of God, that I am the Passover Lamb, that I am the one who comes to take on the sins of the world. I am the one who's going to live my life perfectly. I'm going to then die and be sacrificed, and my blood is going to cover you because God still requires the debt to be paid. It is owed to him as the creator. And so we have to face the destroyer. We have to face God on our own or face God covered. But the debt has to be paid. You see, God can't just look at the debt and say, I just let it go. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to worry about that debt. Debt has to be paid. You understand that relationally, right? If there's something between two people, if there's something between me and you, the debt has to be paid. There's a debt there. Well, here's how it's going to be paid. Either I'm going to extract it from you. I'm going to be punitive towards you. I'm going to belittle you. I'm going to hurt you. Uh, I'm going to manipulate you. But I'm going to get the debt paid. And then we'll be okay. Some of you have been raised in homes like that. You're married to people like that. That you understand that they work so well in guilt and manipulation and passive aggressiveness. And all of those things. Because they're making sure that the debts are paid. And they're going to extract it from you. Well, the other way that a debt's paid is this. I'm just died to the debt. It's going to cost me. You see, the first way is it costs you. The other way is it costs me. I simply say this. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to relinquish my rights to that. I'm not going to demand those things from you. I'm just going to let it go. That costs me. But you see, debt had to be paid. And it's the same way with God. A debt is owed and it has to be paid. And you have to ask the question, how does it get paid? And God said in this, I'll send Christ into the world. And that's why the beauty, and you go into the New Testament and you move into the New Testament, Christ came and he enjoyed the Passover feast. But on the last Passover feast, he transformed it. He said, I'm the better Passover lamb. I'm the Passover lamb. It says that he was without blemish, the Passover lamb. It says that when he was crucified on the cross, not a bone was broken. Why? Because the Passover lamb couldn't have a broken bone. And it says that the Passover lamb had to be uh, sacrificed at twilight. When was Christ sacrificed? At twilight. That he, his blood was shed, that everything was covered. He was the Passover lamb. And at the Passover meal, he said this, none of this now, you don't have to do this anymore. Now you just have to have me. You just need to have my body and my blood. For everything else has always been pointing to me. It's always been pointing to this that I will pay your debt. I'll take care of it. That is paid in full for you. That's incredible news, by the way. I don't know how many of you have ever financed a car 
or financed anything. But there's a great day when you finance something. That day is when the financial institution sends you the deed. It sends you a letter. And I remember we had financed something one time early in our marriage. And I remember getting a letter from the finance agency that said this. Your account is paid in full. You don't owe anything else. And it was an awesome moment for a moment in time. (laughs) When you're going, hey, I don't owe anything on this particular thing anymore. This is incredible to live debt-free in that way. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. His life is him saying to you, your debt is completely paid. What you owed has been paid by Jesus Christ. And that's the best news you'll ever hear. Because here's what's going to happen on the flip side of that. And this is the dark side. But if I don't say it, I'll be held accountable. All of us will have to stand and pay the account. One day, you're going to have to stand before your creator. And you're going to have to settle the account. And you're going to look and you go, I was a good person. I did good things. God says it's not enough. And then he requires it of you. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we can look and say, I know I owe, but he paid it all. And God looks at my ledger and he realizes Bill McCutcheon, account paid in full. Enter in to your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Christ paid it all for you. Isn't that good news? Some of you are working so hard, you're exhausted trying to pay off your debt with God. You try to be the best person you can be. You try to be a good person, a wonderfully religious person. Some of you are here today trying to mark down a little bit of that debt. Okay, God, fine. I'll go to church on Easter. Good grief. I'll be nice to my extended family. Everyone just thinks that Easter is wonderful. Oh, the whole family comes together. For some of you, you're going, oh, the whole family comes together. And you think, that's your penance. That's your payment. God's saying, that doesn't matter. Your goodness and your righteousness don't matter. What matters is Christ's goodness and his righteousness accounted to you. And here's how you know, and this is where we'll end the day. Here's how you know that it was credited to you. It'd be a really bad day. Here would be a really bad day. For the financial institution to which you've been paying. And then maybe you have a benevolent friend who comes to you and says, Hey, McCutcheon... I'm going to do you a favor. I'm paying all of it for you. I'm going to take care of that for you. And then you're like, this is awesome. I'm free. I'm good. Everything's great. And then one day, the letter comes. And it says this. The check bounced. Your friend's check bounced. It wasn't any good. And now, not only do you owe the debt, but you owe every bit of interest that hasn't been paid for all of these years. And we're now going to take everything. We're going to require everything from you. You don't have to have that fear with Jesus Christ. The resurrection proves that. Because when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is the Father saying to the Son, I accept your payment on behalf of all of those whom I've given to you. If he was still dead, then that means there's still a debt to be paid. But he is raised from the dead. And it says, though, it says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. 
Do you want to know how can you be so sure that your debt has been paid? Here's how you can be so sure. Jesus raised from the dead. God accepted it. His check didn't bounce. That God said, okay, I'll take it. And now he raised him from the dead. In Ephesians it said, in the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that raises you from the dead. From death into life. That it's not about making bad people good people, that it's about making dead people alive. That's the cross. That's what happened at the cross and what happened in the resurrection. So the resurrection is the vindication of Christ's life and payment, of saying it's good and it's credited to all of those who follow him. The resurrection is the linchpins, the key to understanding all of the Christian faith. None of it matters if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. None of it matters. Some of you are thinking, I don't get it. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully believe it. Well, here's the thing. Paul and others said this. You'll know for sure. You can have great assurance, and we can have great assurance now, but you will know for sure that all of this is true on what day? When Christ comes and you're raised from the dead. That you'll know it. And that Christ said, I've been raised from the dead so you can have really good assurance that one day you're going to be raised from the dead. You can put your hope and your faith in me. So, what do we do with it? What do we do with it at this point? It's really simple. Work hard this week. Work really hard. Be a really good person. If you're doing things that you shouldn't do, quit doing them. Don't you love that? Well, I don't know how to stop. Well, just stop. Well, goodness gracious, if I I could just stop, I would have just stopped. No, here's what you do. You listen to the words of Scripture, which say this. John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ coming to them, and here's what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you want to be transformed? Behold the Lamb. Do you want to to get past some of the wrestling that you have in your life? Do you want to see transformation in your life? Do you want to see the resurrection power of God working in your life? Contemplate and behold the Lamb. Stare at Him more. Consider Him more. Pause just for a moment and look at Him. And let Him transform you. Let Him transform you. For those of you who are of the house of faith who believe in these things, that's how transformation happens. Behold the Lamb of God. And if you're here and you don't understand this or you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet, here's how it is that you'll be transformed. Behold the Lamb of God. Don't face the destroyer on your own. You'll lose. Behold the Lamb of God and let Him cover you. Let His righteousness be your righteousness and let Him pay your debt and then spend the rest of your life both in this life and the life to come, in absolute freedom of enjoying what he's given to you. You do know this, that for those who are in Christ, you don't owe anything. There's no more to be paid. Nothing else to be paid. It's all been paid in full. Christ said, it is finished. It is finished. It's good news. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, yours included. Let's pray. Father, there's such beauty and complexity within the Scriptures, such deep things that we must consider. And I pray that you would teach us. 
And I know that there are some here this morning who don't understand these things fully. And I pray that they would investigate them. That they would pursue them. And what they would find out is that all along that you've been pursuing them as well. Father, I pray that there are some here this morning who need to take their eyes off of everything else. And they need to behold the Lamb who was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And they would see him in all of his beauty and majesty. They would believe in him. And maybe for the very first time in their lives, the burden of having to bear their own weight, the weight of their own debt, would be lifted. And they would feel a peace that transcends understanding and a joy that comes in any circumstance. For they know that on their account, it says paid in full. Would we see the resurrected Christ and behold him today and crown him with many crowns. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns.